Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from No Quarter Dominium, the complete series, a historical adventurous romance written by M.J.L. Evans and G.M. O'Connor. Welcome to the wickedest city on earth. Ye be warned, this six-book collection contains sexual situations, drug usage, foul language, crude humor, beaky parrots, and tedious historical details. Against the political stage of 1689, Port Royal, Jamaica, the unswerving Atia Crisp is thrust into the world of bondage, violence, beauty, and love. Shipwrecked and sold into slavery with her sister Livia, the pair are soon separated and Atia is used as a pawn in a card game. Captivated by her beauty, Atia is swiftly liberated by sugar merchant Capitaine La Roche, also known as the pirate Gator Gar, whose past is stained with blood and grief. La Roche works with a network of friends and allies, including local strumpet Cherry Banks, Theodore Binge the Card Shark, and the kindly, medication-loving Dr. Strangeways. Soon, Atia and La Roche are ushered away to safety after a mysterious outbreak of scarlet fever wreaks havoc on the city. Within the luxuriant tropical confines of Dr. Strangeway's plantation at the foothills of the Blue Mountains, bonds of friendship are formed, and the fierce love between Atia and Capitaine La Roche becomes absolute. Atia is reunited with her sister, piratical father, and unexpected old friends. However, nowhere is safe as spies seek out both Atia and Laroche for the bounties on their heads. Neither of them can escape the shadows of their former lives and must rely on each other's strength for survival. Their journey leads them to an inevitable conflict that threatens their world but inches them closer toward freedom. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from No Quarter Dominium. After the rain comes good weather. Admiral Christian Godham cursed under his breath. Atop the tower at Fort Charles, he stared through his telescope at the dozens of wounded ships gliding into the harbor. In its thirty-year existence, the city had seen its share of war and suffered frequent attacks from the Spanish and Dutch. Now under threat from their former ally, the French, the five forts lay waiting to see action again. My God, look at them all. We should let them all drown, Godham huffed. The threat was imminent now. His adversary across the chessboard was none other than the famous Dutch privateer, Lawrence de Graaf. Not only a military genius and working for the French, Lawrence had successfully sacked Veracruz in the last great pirate raid of 83. Lieutenant Lance Thorne stood beside him. He spat into the harbor. 
We're outnumbered ten to one, and that idiot Dwar thinks we're perfectly safe. I feel like Priam watching the Greeks arrive at Troy. God embarked. I know they think I'm a fearmonger, but the city could be taken at any time. Under the current government, the city's defenses had been sorely neglected. The five forts were manned on a voluntary basis, leaving the cannons played with dirt and overgrown weeds. Also, he only had two ships at his disposal for the defense of the city. Falcon, a sloop with a dozen guns, and Drake, a small frigate with eighteen guns. What's your count, Lieutenant? Four more French, one Spanish, Thorne said. Most of them are merchant vessels and can hardly float. Don't be fooled. This is the kind of opportunity Lawrence waits for. You never know when the enemy will strike. Gotham glanced up just in time to see an ugly dark bird fly overhead and shit on him. See, that's what I mean, caught off guard. We're sitting ducks out here. He used a handkerchief to wipe it off, but instead made the mess worse. It is said to be good luck, that, Thorne pointed. Aye, the best of luck, Thorne, thank you, Gotham growled. Shoot that bird. Thorne raised his pistol and shrugged, indicating that it was empty. Move Drake and Falcon to the middle of the harbor and remain at battle stations. Aye, sir, Thorne saluted. I want every militiaman on double duty and cancel all leave. We're on the brink and no French Trojan horse is penetrating this man's defenses, not while I'm alive. Godham clenched his fist and sneered at the vulgar dark bird as it glided over the fish market. Throughout the Turtle Crawls market and along Fisher's Row, merchants unloaded barrels and crates. The oily pungence of fresh fish wafted from the merchant stands. Scaly delicacies included snapper, mackerel, tuna, marlin, and grouper. Seabirds skulked around, and stray cats wandered among the wooden planks and between crates seeking scraps. Laroche and Decreep paused at a stand for a quick meal of smoked tuna skewers and boiled shrimp. They washed it down with a pint of ale from the Three Crowns Tavern and continued to walk until they reached the top of Lime Street. Decreep had changed out of his storm-beaten clothes into a brown leather vest and dark trousers. He wore a long musket on his back, his cutlass and dagger on a leather belt. Messy dark hair gave him a youthful appearance despite the fact that he was in his thirties. With a mixture of Arawak and African roots and a sprinkling of French, he had developed an exotic reputation among the brothels for his tribal tattoos and piercings. He used the alias Decreep to protect his true identity. Dachiel Dupree Après le puits, le beau temps. He marveled as everyone picked up the pieces and carried on. I leave you here, Capitan. I'm going to find a whore. Laroche shrugged, lighting a pre-rolled cigarette. When in Rome. Find a whore. Minuet squawked, stalking them overhead. They are called strumpets here, Laroche said. Strumpets here, strumpets here, Minuet screeched. Laroche tossed a dead beetle in the air. The parrot caught it and perched upon a wooden post above a torn sign indicating no umping. The good ones are on Thames Street, yes? Well, I can afford Lime Street, no, said Decreep. They shook hands. Give the gang my best. I owe you a debt of gratitude, Capitan. Even this makes us. Laroche turned down an alley leading to Lime Street. Within seconds, Decreep vanished. Like a truly experienced buccaneer, he knew every pathway, secret shortcut, and available escape route.
Laroche cringed at the thought of sticking it anywhere near Lime Street. He ambled along the lane, lost in thought. A young blonde woman in a low-cut dress approached him. If you're looking for company, sir, I'd be exactly what you'd be needing. She smiled and flopped out abreast. He tipped his hat and walked by. Granted, he hadn't had a woman in a good long while. He had an incurable penchant for redheads that stemmed from his youthful liaisons with the fiery Jacotte de la Haye. They lived happily enough until their differing views caused them nothing but misery. She took off with a group of pirates to start the Freebooter Republic near Santa Catalina. Laroche cut across to New Street, where a skinny prostitute with dirty hair accosted him. How about a bob for a bob, mate? She grinned with missing teeth. He raised his eyebrows. Enter at own risk, huh? A wherryman trundled by, and Laroche jumped onto the back of the carriage. The vehicle turned up High Street and halted at the great brick wall of Fort Rupert. Laroche leapt off and paid the driver. He crossed a makeshift bridge to the Pelisodorus, a little village with a cemetery near the water's edge. Although compelled to pay his respects to his fallen comrades, he felt very alone wandering around headstones. Laroche and the Brethren of the Coast had a falling out long ago. He had been implicated in the disappearance of Rock Brasiliano and two-thirds of the loot from a Panama raid. Since then, only two other Brethren members remained alive. At the foot of a monument, he knelt and cleared away wildflowers, branches, and storm debris. So this is what it's like to be almost extinct. He gazed at a skull and crossbones headstone with the words, Barbados. Here lieth ye body, ye Sir Henry Morgan, 1635 to 1688. It was the first opportunity he'd had since his banishment to pay his respects. Laroche removed a bottle of rum from his jacket, uncapped it, drank deep, and poured the remaining contents on the grave. Drink well tonight, mon camarade. Say hello to the boys, Ed, Diego, Davy, and Jamie. Minuit perched upon the gravestone and said, Mon ami! Laroche smiled appreciatively and tossed him another dead insect. The parrot snapped it up. His overly large beak seemed to smile back. Then his dark wings spread and he was off, soaring back towards Fort Rupert. Minuit glided all the way down High Street over the meat and produce market. He landed near the aptly named Bird's Alley across from the Merchant Exchange, a triangular layout of numerous buildings stacked side by side. All the major merchants in Port Royal assembled with over a hundred shops joined together by pathways and staircases. One could easily get lost for hours within ladies' apparel, men's shoes, pastries, books, jewelry, children's toys, pipes, tobacco, and the wine and spirits shop, which offered liquor from Italy, France, Africa, and London. From the northwest corner of the exchange, Dr. Sanders Strangeways strolled towards Sea Lane. He wore a burgundy long coat and black breeches, his brown leather medical bag in hand. As he passed the bakery, the aroma of imported apples and cinnamon swirled through the air. He inhaled deeply through his crooked nose and continued across the lane, where he approached his assistant, Miles Gladstone, a stocky man with brown skin. The doctor had adopted ten-year-old Miles on a trip to Barbados and brought him up in the apothecary trade. Miles grew to know basic chemistry, healing arts, and was critical in running the doctor's business. More than thirty years later, Gladstone remained a faithful assistant and trustworthy friend.
Koi, why are you dropping that here? Gladstone asked, watching slaves pile wood debris. It's all being moved to the top of Thames Street, sir. What for? Bonfire fodder for the governor's ball. Not another one. He burned down the orphanage last time. Gladstone smirked and then turned to the doctor. Tem Street is all cracked up and flooded. They shouldn't bother to fix it and just call it Canal Street. Quite right. Any news? Gladstone scratched the back of his head. I'm afraid so. A Frenchie reported a bark going down off Folly Bay. Fisherman says there's bodies all over the place. Women and children. Any word of survivors? In Folly Bay? Almost a year ago, the doctor was contacted by an old friend, Cormac O'Malley, who needed help to smuggle his family away from the slave trader Hansel Crisp. O'Malley knew the doctor's true business of smuggling slaves with a perfect success rate. His business was so cleverly clandestine that none suspected he was anything other than a concerned doctor and the town's chief surgeon. Strangeway's concern grew. We should head out there. But the fair? Gladstone reminded. It's tomorrow night. Oh, shit, I almost forgot. The girls are counting on you. How about I head out to Folly Bay and find out if it was them? It's better you stay here and let me take care of this one. Strangeways patted him on the back. Ah, good old reliable Gladstone. Then you must head out there straight away. Let me know as soon as you find out. Gladstone paused. What if it really was the Aeolus? And I'll be giving the O'Malley some bad news. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from No Quarter Dominium. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.